Hello, and welcome to Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and joining us today is Mark Kleiman, professor of public policy at the UCLA Luskin School of Public Affairs, an expert on drug policy in the United States. Professor Kleiman has been appointed to advise the Washington state government on implementing a legal marijuana market. Professor Kleiman, thanks for joining us. Matt, my pleasure. If you would ask just a few years ago, uh, if marijuana would ever be fully legalized in the United States, most would express some healthy skepticism. Now two states have legalized it, much to the chagrin of the federal government. Did you ever think that we would get to this point? Oh, if you'd asked me in 1979, I would have said, oh, of course we're going to legalize marijuana. And then public opinion turned. Um, uh, no, I didn't. I wouldn't have guessed more recently than five years ago that it was moving in this direction. Uh, the, the movement of public opinion has been extremely sharp. And of course, it always could reverse again, but I don't think it will. I think we're probably headed in the direction of a full national legalization, uh, probably sometime in, in President Hillary Clinton's second term. Do you think that there's anything specific that's been driving this? Part of the change is generational. As if you look at the at the polling, opposition to cannabis legalization is concentrated uh, among people over 65. Uh, and so it's partly the same story as the rest of sort of social liberalism. Uh, the millennials are, are, are driving the, the train. But that's only part of it. Um, the other thing that's happened is that if you look at every birth cohort, support for cannabis legalization has gone way up in the last 10 years. What's been driving that? Uh, partly medical marijuana, which was a very successful stalking horse for full legalization. Um, people sort of look around and say, well, some state says it's medicine. I guess it's medicine. I guess it can't be so bad. Um, partly the baby boomer generation, which was strongly pro-pot when they were in college, um, got to be a lot less pro-pot when they had kids. Well, their kids are out of the house now, so they've moved back in the other direction. Um, but the other thing that's been driving it, I think, is the correct perception that, again, partly due to the medical marijuana business, the structure of prohibition has started to break down the way the structure of alcohol prohibition broke down in the late 20s. And so even if you're somewhat concerned about what a legal market will look like, about how much additional drug abuse we'll get as a result of that, if you look at what we have today, $35 billion a year in illicit business, noticeable amount of violence in Mexico, some amount of violence in the U.S., um, um, hundreds of thousands of arrests a year, uh, tens of thousands of people behind bars. And you say, is that an okay result? No. Do we have any strategy for making it better within the confines of keeping the drug prohibited? Well, no, actually. Um, and so that starts to make legalization look like something worth trying. Even the, even the opponents of legalization have backed way off the previous sort of drug war stance. So they're now saying, well, well, of course we should do medical research. Of course we shouldn't put people in jail for, for using pot. Well, those weren't of courses 15 years ago. Um, 
I actually think that, that cannabis prohibition could have been rescued uh, if the drug warriors hadn't insisted on doing it to its max. Um, but I think the horse is now out of the barn. Marijuana legalization isn't without its share of problems. Um, having availability for kids is one of the things that a lot of people are really worried about. Um, the idea of um, not being able to stop people for driving under the influence of marijuana uh, because there's no breath test. What are the solutions to these kinds of problems? Um, I rank the driving problem pretty low. Um, there's probably a solution to it in the form of a mouth swab, but that technology still needs to be developed. The problem is to discover not whether somebody has smoked pot, but whether they smoked pot recently enough to probably still be impaired. Uh, the problem with a urine test or a blood test, it just doesn't tell you much about recent use. Mouth swab would. Um, still a question of, about establishing a level that's impaired. I think if I got to make the choice, I would simply have the, have the rule that if your mouth swab is positive for cannabis, then your blood has to be zero for alcohol. That That's the combination use that seems to me is going to be most of the problem. Access to kids, again, the current system's not doing very well on that. Um, I think it's foolish to deny that a legal system will provide more access to kids because nothing about the legal system denies them access unless the legal business completely drives the illegal business out. Um, and they can always get it from their parents or their older friends. Um, now, it's a different question, which is given that there's currently an illegal business delivering cannabis to high school juniors do you, and that they're not going to stop, do you want them continuing to get their cannabis from strictly illegal sources or would you rather have them get it diverted from the legal channel? It's a pretty good argument that you'd rather have it be diverted the way alcohol is rather than moonshine. It's possible that heavy use among adolescents could actually go down with legalization insofar as the heavy users are currently supporting their habits by selling because there won't be any business selling cannabis illegally once it's legal. Um, but no, I think there'll be increased uh, increased use and therefore increased abuse among adolescents. And I very much doubt that there's drug prevention exercises we can do that would matter a lot. Um, you said before that um, one of the keys is making sure the price is um, impacted by you know taxes and all of that. Isn't there some risk of a black market? still existing if the prices are driven up in the you know legal market? Legalization has a Goldilocks problem. You don't want the, be, the price to be too high or you simply drive people back to the illicit market. You don't want it to be too low or you encourage drug abuse. I think a reasonable target would be keeping the legal price about where the current illegal price now is. And hoping, I think it's a reasonable hope, that most consumers will prefer tested and labeled product of known purity, known provenance to something they're buying on the street corner. Um, but figuring out how to do that tax is hard, partly because it's a moving target, right? The first couple of years, the legal product will be somewhat expensive to produce, but those prices will fall sharply over time. You'd like to have taxes that move in the opposite direction from prices to keep the final consumer price more or less constant. 
Unfortunately, both Colorado and Washington have taxes based on the sales value of the cannabis. So the taxes are going to fall as prices fall. In Washington, I think they're going to start out way too high and wind up way too low. So how do you structure a tax to compensate for that? Um, well, you could you could literally have a, a, a tax that's the difference between the, the, the price and some target. Um, or you could uh, limit the amount of THC to be produced in a state or sold in a state, auction off the right to sell it. Right? Basically, a cap-and-trade system where you can capture all of the surplus for the government without ever sending a tax rate. It seems like this is one of uh, a number of issues that you have to tackle uh, that are fairly difficult given the dearth of precedent. Um, how has there been anything that has surprised you in looking? I mean, you're looking at everything from you know the packaging of the of the final product to the actual distribution. Is there anything that hasn't surprised me? <laughs> Not that I can think of. So I didn't I didn't realize going in how vigorous the medical market is in Washington State. That's going to be a very sharp competitor. So the medical market is actually a competitor? It's not going to just morph into the commercial market? Some of the current medical outlets will probably repackage themselves as commercial outlets. That's happening uh, a lot in Colorado. In fact, the the Colorado uh, rules say that nobody who doesn't currently have a medical sales license can even apply for a commercial retail sales license for the first nine months. Um, Colorado is going to require vertical integration. Seventy percent of the cannabis sold in a store has to be grown by the owners of that store. Washington has the opposite rule, that nobody with a financial interest in producing cannabis can also have a financial interest in retailing it. That's the that's the alcohol distribution model. Uh, that's going to make it harder for the Washington outlets to convert themselves because they'd have to spin off their production insofar as they have production capacity. But yes, some of that will happen. Uh, but because in Washington the medical market is untaxed and unregulated, I think some of the current medical suppliers are going to try to stick with their current business. Uh, but partly because the the rules under which you can get a medical recommendation in Washington are astoundingly wide open. Uh, you don't have to don't need an MD to write you a recommendation. Any naturopath or or physician's assistant or nurse nurse practitioner can give you a recommendation, and that allows you to grow 15 plants. Um, so I think it's going to be necessary to make some changes in the way the medical supply works. Uh, I, we weren't asked to advise on this, but my advice would be to integrate the two markets and provide bona fide patients, of whom there are a bunch, uh, with a tax exemption. But I don't see any need for a separate retailing enterprise aimed at patients. One of the most difficult things about this seems to be the uh, the, the disparity between the federal law and the state law. When you're pursuing this, when you're looking at what the state should do, do you just try and build the best system that you can find and hope the federal government doesn't intervene? Managing the state-federal relationship is complicated, um, and unfortunately, it rules out a number of things you'd like to do. So if you're going to have a commercial market in cannabis at all, 
I'm not sure I would prefer to do. I think I'd rather have people grow their own or join co-ops. But if you're going to have a, a store business, I think I'd rather have the stores owned and operated by the state, the way a lot of states or some states still have state-owned liquor stores. Because it's the only way I can imagine that the industry won't be trying to push as much product on as many drug abusers as possible. But you can't do that when it's illegal federally, right? Every state official takes an oath to uphold the Constitution. And so you can't tell your state officials to commit federal felonies. So Washington can regulate a commercial system, but it can't run its own system. And again, there are some of us who think that that's too bad, but nothing to do about that. Um, It's essential that Washington and Colorado keep the stuff in state as much as possible. If they get to be centers of national production, then I think the feds are going to land on them hard. Professor Mark Kleiman, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast today. Great pleasure. You've been listening to HKS PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. Hear more interviews at hks.harvard.edu slash policycast. And join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag policycast. Thank you.